Welcome to episode 56 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, and each week I publish a new episode with a new climate champion as my guest. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Patrick Lee, President and CEO of Pice Energy Solutions and VP of Infrastructure and Technology at Sempra Energy. Pice Energy Solutions is a subsidiary of Sempra Energy and develops, operates, and markets next-generation power grid management technology for renewable energy developers and operators, grid operators, commercial property owners, and microgrids. In about three weeks, on March 10th and 11th, Patrick and I will both be in Chicago, will both be on panels at the Microgrid Global Innovation Forum, North America. I'm on a panel on the 10th, and Patrick is on the 11th. If you're at the conference, come on over and say hi to me and to Patrick. Patrick is a proven executive with an incredible track record. He's led numerous business operations with significant financial outcomes and has over 30 years of energy industry experience in electric system planning, design, construction, operations, energy markets, renewables, and technology RD&D. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm here in San Diego with Patrick Lee, President and CEO of Pice Energy Solutions and VP of Infrastructure and Technology at Sempra Energy. Patrick, welcome to The Climate Champions. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. For those of you that don't know, Patrick and I worked together at Sempra for 20 years. Exactly, yeah. Had a lot of fun doing a lot of fun things over the years. And we did work on PICE together, which is what I assume we're going to talk about a lot today. Patrick, with regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment that made you feel like you had to do something? Yeah, I I think it's really sometimes the personal experience when you understand there's a lot of tension in the market that people talk about greenhouse gas, people talk about electric vehicle adoption and so on, focusing on how can we reduce CO2 and so on? So you start paying attention to say, is it really real? Do, we, do I actually experience it? And what am I going to do about it, right? So I think over the years, you come to a conclusion that whether you believe it or not, there are prudent steps on things that you can do to address a more sustainable environment. Do you have any personal drivers for why this is important to you? I think is really thinking about our children and grandchildren and future generations. Can they enjoy the earth the same way I or my ancestor had enjoyed it, right? So recently I was in Antarctica in December. When you start looking at the environment that's untouched and you can actually see the actual happening, when you know the statistic of the decline of, let's say, penguins or, or whales, and you start trying to, well, what's the reason for that? It makes you really much more connected to the earth to say, something's changing, we better do something about it, or else no one else can enjoy these environments that's once pristine. 
You talked before about some people not having a belief that carbon in the atmosphere causes climate change. When you encounter people that have that perspective, how do you discuss it with them? I generally don't point to the carbon in the air, but really talk about the example of, does it make sense to harness energy from, from a field that takes millions of years to make? Once you recognize that, say, well, that's not sustainable, when you know that the amount of oil and gas in the ground is limited, even from that perspective, it's not sustainable. If there's a way to leave them in the ground and have other alternatives and still can do it cost-effectively, that's really the motivation of the challenge to say, can we come up with a solution that can take more natural energy that we can produce and do it cost-effectively so that people can afford it? I used to work for PICE, so I could talk about it all day long and the awesome things that it has the capability to do. But obviously, I'd like to hear it from you. Can you talk about PICE and what you specifically do? Yeah. So if you think about PICE, is really we're enabling this global energy transition. It's really a theme also in, in the Semper family of company. Our CEO, Jeff Martin, just in the Davos, had an article and, and talked about this global energy transition and how is a company, integrated company like ours, can help that transition. If I mirror that discussion to what is PICE is enabling in terms of global energy transition, is to coming up with new tools that can actually help accelerate that transition in certain markets. Because there are a mix of different fuels. Over the year, this mix will change over time. You need a solution that can adopt and adapt to these solutions over time so that you don't have to keep changing solutions because once you make an investment, you are stuck with that investment for a long time. Many utility adopt technology. They don't change technology every few years, right? The technology stays on for 5, 10, sometimes 30 years. It's not like an iPhone where, hey, that one's cooler, I want to get it. The investment is just too large. Exactly. I think the current technology that we use, for example, in controlling the power grid, it's been around for more than 100 years. It's not easy to change, right? So it's really challenging to be able to take a new concept like PIES, which is taking additional information based on newer technology, combining with a number of enabling technology to be able to do something that we couldn't do before. Enabling high adoption of renewable and able to take advantage of adding more capacity to the grid by better utilization and not just adding more infrastructure to it. And so we have thought about how does this acceleration occur and how does it really impact, for example, the, the climate. A lot of the projection today thinks about there are goals from cities, from state, to go to, let's say, 100% renewable or, or carbon neutral. But today, not too many people thought about how do we actually do that? Right. I think there's a lot of concept out there. There's a lot of pilots out there. But it's still missing some technology in terms of coordinating these solutions. Because most people focus on, I, I call point solution or a, a single purpose solution. For example, people think about, oh, I, I can control thermostats better in houses to reduce energy costs, more from the energy efficiency side. Or people can aggregate a number of distributed energy resources to provide a virtual power plant. 
that's still very silo focused. They're all good things, but they're all focusing only on what they can do. Right, right. In a modern grid that's more complex, there are a lot more variables in the grid because once you shift the centralized power plant into a neighborhood where it's distributed, anybody that puts power in or takes power out affects the local grid's operation. So you can no longer look at these silo solutions by themselves, but looking at a collection as a system to think about how do you actually manage that. And the focus is not about adding a solar or adding a wind or adding energy storage to the grid. But think about how this additional energy resources may be unpredictable, but how when they combine with existing infrastructure, how do you improve the dispatch of resources to match the demand? And also look at how do you actually utilize the existing capacity of the network better than we have done in the, in the past. Those are really two key significant enablement that PICE is providing as a system, uh, operating system, if you like, providing the coordination of any mix of resources to be able to operate them together and so can co-optimize the solution in real time all the time and somewhat creating an autonomous control solution so that we don't really need to involve too many human as a human operator to operate a grid like we are currently practicing around the world, right? There's control centers everywhere with, with people watching what's going on. Can you talk about your prior background before PICE? I'm mostly electrical engineer based. My bachelor's degree and my master's degree are in electrical engineering, specifically focused on power system. But I think there's some other capability that I have in the past that sometimes I thought maybe I'm lucky that I was an auto technician for a few years before I become an engineer that offered me the ability to look at the mechanical side of vehicle. And also I was a, a certified as a emission control technician that do smog check. So also that ties me to understanding of carbon dioxide, you know, carbon monoxide, understanding Clean Air Act requirements, right? So I think it connects me more beyond just the power system network and understanding how the transportation system also impacts the greenhouse gas or climate concern that we have. And then along the way, because I was educated in the 80s on computers, and so the programming skill that I have uh, allowed me to, for example, build a point-of-sale system 25 years ago that a touchscreen base with multiple printers. The computer skill, the mechanical skill, coupled with the electrical engineering skill, that really helped me over, over the years to grasp better system concepts. And I think that's part of the reason I'm involved in creating a new startup company like PICE, because there's many pieces that you have to bring together in order to have a, a solution that we believe is robust and can be deployed in a large system. I think it's just great when all the things you've done in your life come together to prepare you for a moment. Can you talk about that moment when you first had the idea for PICE? Yeah, when we first initially came together with, with a couple colleagues who, who had a lot of experience as well as IP in high-speed sensor and, and application, the initial thought was able to combine a number of resources and operate them as a microgrid. And so after we started that concept, 
we know we can do microgrid better because we looked at existing many microgrids are like snowflakes, right? Each microgrid is really customized and very difficult to scale. If you've seen one microgrid, you've seen one microgrid. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think part of solving the, the problem is to look at if we know microgrid is a good building block, not just because you have islanding capability. It's about 99.99% of the time when the microgrid is connected to the main grid. How do you make good use of the resources inside the microgrid to be sharing externally or use it internally so that you have the best utilization of the assets, right? So when we start looking at, initially looking at just a few devices and call them a microgrid, we look at the scalability. And that's why we decided to use a software-based solution that's much more easy to scale. So you can use one set of code to deploy a microgrid where you can now deploy the same microgrid by configuring it as opposed to having to have a lot of hard wiring in the field. That way you're hardware agnostic. Basically you can control any component, standard component, inverters and generators and fuse cell, whatever it is that, that have a communication standard. You can basically talk to all of them and then once you understand each one has their own benefit in, in operation, you can now co-optimize them together to make sure they can work together as one system to provide the overall efficiency and reliability that you need. And so from there, we kind of evolved to looking at bigger than microgrid. So when you start looking at not just a few devices locally in one area, but now you have a network of microgrids. And then you have a really large grid that has to be managed over time. When you get to the 50, 60, or 80% renewable, how do you actually operate that future grid? So we have designed to address how we run a network of microgrid or microgrid inside microgrids. And so that evolved us into different solution that we offer, for example, like a, a derm solution. And we brought in that thinking more than just controlling customer devices, but looking at all distributed resources in an area, how do, how do you best coordinate the operation of them? Can you talk about the setbacks that you've been through, challenges you've overcome? Yeah, in, in terms of setback, I think of things that are temporarily hold you back to moving forward. So I can't think of anything from a business standpoint, but for, at a project level, I was running a, a project called Sunrise Powerlink. I remember we have three days that our project has a stoppage. Directly, they basically said that we are concerned about the safety of air operation of the project, and we were stopped for three days, and that really set the project back because we have a very tight schedule, very challenging project, and quickly want to overcome that understanding the risk was there, and we brought in three different sets of air operation safety experts to come evaluate air operation. Even with all the improvement we made, because you have a lot of uncontrollable variables, right? When you have a fleet of 40 different helicopters flying in a very tight corridor, and many of the things that are happening with lifting equipment to transporting people, and coordinating the activity in, in a very tight corridor, and you want to be safe, right? So when they have equipment that they're dropping or issue that occur, I think sometimes you can look at those setbacks as a, maybe it's a good thing, even though you may think people overreacted, but it's a good pause 
So sometimes I like to look at setback as a positive thing. Time to rethink things and make sure what you're doing is right. Right, right, right. I, th- I think in life, I really think you should look at all, anything setback as the, is a positive view, right? Because a lot of time we'll get frustrated. But I, I tend to not get frustrated, but look at, okay, we have a situation to deal with. And what do we learn from that? Okay, I made you suffer through setbacks. Can you talk about successes that you're most proud of? I would say the same project that I had to set back was my proudest project. When you have a complex project that had a lot of variable and dependency all combined into it, from 400 environmental mitigation measure requirement to now you cannot plan your job more than three days. That would dictate you to have almost like a military operation to say, I have to have a schedule just 24 hours ahead, but I need to have 2,000 people the next day at the right locations and has to have the right permit. And the site has to be surveyed for birds and everything else that comply with the 400 compliances. That makes the job difficult. Plus now the construction, you know, more than half of the, the site are not as accessible by vehicles. Now you have to have helicopters to transport people, transport equipment. And the construction become more challenging because now how are you going to bring the tower steel and have to have now pre-assemble site to, to launch them? And then the, the work practices has to be improved because you want to improve safety. And so there's a lot of innovation has to happen in the project while you're building it. Sometimes we call it, we're building the car as we were driving it down the road. And able to bring a project with that magnitude, over 450 towers around 120 miles distance, and mostly in an accessible area with strong wind condition, able to build that within the time frame and within the budget. I think sometimes timing is really critical, right? I, around that time frame, Sinanofa nuclear power plant was also offline. And so Southern California really needed this transmission line to maintain the reliability. And we were able to come online just in time to maintain the reliability of Southern California. There was a lot of attention from the state and, and regulator around to make sure the project is on, on schedule. And, and we did it. And a few comments on climate change. That transmission line ended up bringing in a tremendous amount of renewable energy into the city. Yeah, exactly. The line at the time was rated for more than 1,000 megawatts, and it was connecting to a lot of solar energy and wind energy in the Imperial Valley. And shortly after, I would say within two years of energization of the line, the line was fully subscribed with renewable energy. A lot of people doubted that would be the case. So it's, it's great when a plan comes together. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why I feel that in a challenging project like that, we said we were going to do that and we deliver the result as we said. I think it, it builds good credibility with the regulator as well as with the citizens living around, having to live through multi-years of construction that are going on. It surely brings value to California in terms of renewable energy and supporting the reliability of the area. And I think you took that project over when it was already behind and over budget. Yeah, when we took over the project, we were behind at least six months in terms of permitting. And then at the same time, out of the 120 miles, we only had seven miles of right-of-way. 
That means you have to acquire rights to build the transmission line within the time frame. And we still had not had permits from the U.S. Forest Service at the time. So those are challenging time that... Setbacks. Those are setbacks. Yeah, I, I call that setback. But I, sound, <laughs> I, I also look at that as opportunities, right? I think it energized the team to, after we finished the project, we counted a total of 19 awards for the different innovations from public relation to environmental to civil to electrical design. And we were invited to talk about best practices in the industry on how we actually build transmission tower using air crane helicopters to make the installation more efficient. And so I think everything seems to be connected, right? You build transmission line that enable renewable. Now with Pi's Energy Solution, we're providing an operating system for the power grid that can enable different mix of resources to transition us from today of the mix that we have with, let's say there are, depending on geographical area where we have natural gas and nuclear and solar and wind, and transitioning over time with a lot more electrical vehicle in the grid, more likely based on study today, California's total electricity consumption would double in 50 years just because of electrical vehicle integration. Absolutely, yes. And in places that we don't have it today, because it'd be different places that today don't use a lot of energy, they would use more because they have a lot of vehicles going through there. Right. What do you think the future looks like 10, 20, 30 years out in the U.S. and California globally with regards to climate? I really think this global energy transition happened at different pace in different parts of the world, right? Today, Semper Energy focuses a lot on helping to bring natural gas to other parts of the developing world where they're consuming coal and oil. I think there's opportunity for different kind of fuel to help to make a cleaner environment. But in other markets where, like in Hawaii, they're adopting a lot of renewable energy, even though they're still burning oil supply energy. And so I think that transition will continue to occur to where I believe in 20, 30 years, there will be a lot more distributed energy resources available. That abundance will change the way consumer will participate in a sharing economy that we're more accustomed to today, where if people already have sunk cost investment in terms of you already have a solar in your, in your home and you have energy storage in your home or businesses, and you would think about how do you take advantage of the extra resources you have? How do you share with other people? I can even imagine people will donate their extra energy to nonprofits, right? Some way to, to get value and whether by then with all the regulation changes, we would accept and allow peer-to-peer transaction of energy. There will be a lot more electric vehicle adoption, a lot more self-sustainment of certain type of utility Because I can imagine certain things requiring a network to be better, and some of the things are more distributed. For example, I think electricity, water, gas, sewer can be more self-sustainable by itself without having to rely on sewer pipeline or a network of transmission. But if you think about communication, I would think about whether by then will be the 6 or 7G, 
where there's a lot more connectivity. 10G, baby, 10G. Yeah, yeah. maybe 10G <laughs> or, or maybe beyond that, right? So communication and transportation, movement of data and movement of people would be more network ties. So I, I think those kind of the direction where used to be everything is centralized, certain things will become more distributed and certain will stay centralized because it has to stay centralized. Certainly, there are many technologies where we've seen things go from centralized to decentralized and back to centralized and back to decentralized just based on how the technology changes. Right. So an example in this case might be if there was super, super cheap nuclear energy in a massive scale, you might see it re-centralized away from distributed. I'm just making that up. Right, right. But, but technology changes those decisions. Yeah, I believe the world of a balance, right? Anything extreme whether you have too much in one location or too little in another location is not a very good thing. I think a distributed concept equalizes that. It allows more balance of whether it be, you call it sustainability or fair play. If you think about, I, I sometimes think about an example like Puerto Rico, after the storm you know, is over and they've been out of power for six months, a lot of debate about should it be maintained as a centralized grid or should it be a, a network of microgrids? You would begin to think about, hey, a distributed system that can operate on their own has a lot of value. But then the question is, how do you make that transition occur? I think that's the biggest challenge when we talk about global energy transition. A lot of time we talk about one concept and we think of them as a step change. Things are not step change in this world. Everything evolves over time. A solution has to address the transition over time. And so when we build solution, we have to think about how do we actually help it from today through a number of years so that it's still cost effective down the road. And you need flexibility and adaptability because we know today we may add a battery of certain size. Next year, I may be adding another battery, different type. Especially as, as a control system that I wear my hat on for PICE, we need to think about the future world is going to be, there's some unknown, a very different mix of resources, but we need a design system that is smart enough to adapt to that. When things weren't changing as fast in the world, you didn't have to design for change. But now with the speed that we're seeing of things changing, you really have to factor that into everything you do. Exactly. I think sometimes people don't think speed is important. Sometimes people thought, oh, the current SCADA system that we have, have a refresh data rate of, let's say, three seconds, very typical around the world, where you're refreshing information and snapshot the grid's information. And that's how the whole grid is built today. You provide a snapshot to an operator who can see information every few seconds. So the SCADA system was designed for human. But now when you switch to the future world, which we are already in in a way, you have a lot of distributed resources with many more data points. and the unpredictability of the intermittent resources are changing much faster than every few seconds. So what are you going to do? And there are not enough data and human capacity to process that volume of data to be able to make decision. So human in the loop has to be changed and slowly get human out of the loop. So we really need to help operator to become more supervisor of the grid, just like a pilot today supervising the autopilot. So PICE focus on autonomous control is really to provide 
the operator an opportunity to set business rule and set how they want to monitor the grid and let an autonomous function to look at high volume of data and make those economic decisions. And then with that capability, we can certainly address the efficiency and the reliability of the grid. Do you have any questions for me? So Lee, you have done a lot of these interview with many leaders from different perspective to help, I would say, accelerate some mitigation measure for the climate change. What's your insight in terms, is there a common theme that you think is missing to enable us to get further down the path? Or do you feel that we're really doing a lot now that it's going to make a quick change in the next five years? That's a great question. And my thought right now is both. We have great ingredients. There are amazing technologies. There are amazing technologists. We have politicians that are very engaged and understand the urgency. We have activists that are making a big difference. We have scientists that understand the science and are beginning to explain it in a way that people understand. And not so great, we even have so many weather events happening all over the world that more and more people are waking up to what's going on. We have the ingredients, but what we don't have is a chef, an authorized team that has the world behind them to make the plan and go after it as hard as they possibly can. Yeah, I, I would like to talk a little bit about the the transition and how people make decision, particularly with utility going through this global energy transition. I think the world that we lived in today, we have adopted a lot of technology. And I remember the days that you were in charge of a smart grid. And I think that's debate about how smart is a smart grid. I think utility had invested in different versions of smart grid over time, trying to make the grid smarter and smarter. Because we started with a centralized delivery system where we still, by and large, planning a one-way flow system with tools that design for planning a one-way flow system. But now we begin to have area that have unpredictable two-way flow. And those tools has not been adopted or adapted to the new environment. And also the tools that we have adopted in the past are more for silo application. And I call that bandy approach in a way. If I have a voltage problem, I'm going to have a Volvar control scheme. But if I have a DER problem, I'm going to have a derm solution just to dispatch them. Unfortunately, those silo adoption of technology is part of the changes is needed. When you go into a two-way distributed grid that's less predictable, you now have to look at the tools in an integrated fashion because no longer you can throttle one parameter at a time. So I think utility decision makers really have to look at as we move forward, even though you're piloting in many places in terms of energy efficiency program, electric vehicle charging, and some energy transaction capability for the future. You have to think about how do they actually work together? And not only that, what is it enabling your business to do? Because most of the time, people are not thinking ahead enough. If you're running an electric utility, your throughput is eroding over time on one side because of appliances are more efficient, but also you also have throughput increase from electric vehicle. But then it drives us the network 
with a different operating requirement. And so now you can't solve the problem by silo IT or OT solution. You have to look at an integrated platform to say, that integrated platform now allow me to manage this set of resources and also allow me to manage the network appropriately. And so I think those concepts are needed in order to make sure the future grid can be operated efficiently and reliably. Otherwise, we can certainly pile up more infrastructure, more battery, more solar. And so we end up seeing curtailment of solar certain time of the day and overbuild capacity of batteries sitting in everywhere. But during an emergency, not all the batteries are really contributing to solving the problem. And so now what's at end up is that consumer pays a higher price. So to me, this transition of energy from today to the future really also require different thinking from decision makers. The way you described it gave me a vision of when I was a software engineer, we called it spaghetti code. We are just coding where you need to code to make the change and you end up with a plate of spaghetti. At some point, to maintain it, you need to redesign it in a way that considers all the changes. The problem is for software, it is expensive to do, but it's very doable. For the energy system, it's incredibly expensive and extremely difficult to do. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there are challenges in terms of today you do have silo IT systems, but there are interfaces that you can design, right? You design the interfaces so that you can now not only make one decision, but now make a collective decision. Well, you can have a whole bunch of bowls of spaghetti that talk to each other in a clean way. Right. So, for example, if you have solar rooftops, you have batteries in, in home, like a power wall, right, for Panasonic battery, whatever it is you have in the neighborhood, community solar, and then you have utility battery and EV in the future, a lot of V2G, for example. You cannot look at just the EV dispatch by themselves because they impact the rest of the people. So now you need a solution holistically, look at everything and start making decision in groups and then looking at each group based on their response and some respond faster than others. And so you now you need to combine all of them to make sure they work together because someone needs to keep the lights on. So utility ended up with this responsibility to operate a network with a lot of things that they don't control anymore. You could see why utilities are nervous faced with that challenge. Hey, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. Reminisce with Patrick, and it was very nice. We got down and we talked a lot about PICE. If 100% RPS is your goal, you need a fast, accurate way that you can control. Your solution needs to be more than decent, see? So try controlling voltage and frequency. If you want to have a solution that really kills, study hard and work hard, developing lots of skills. Controlling a grid requires lots of trust, so it's a must that it be robust. You've got to build a team with diverse talents because in resources and life, there's got to be balance. New tools and technology provides a lots of data, so it's important that you get some supersonic SCADA. A fun fact that's always amused me, if we got married and I took your name, I'd be Lee Lee. <laughs> that's very funny. Lee, you're really the best rapper out there in Palm 2 Raptor. Thank you very much. 
Patrick talked about the Sunrise transmission line as the success he's most proud of, and it was an amazing and important accomplishment. But I was hoping he'd mention my favorite Pice moment. With permission from the grid operators on a fairly large island, Pice was used, with operator supervision, to autonomously control the island's frequency with a relatively small battery. We watched in real time as Pice kept the frequency super tight in spite of significant variability in the solar and wind generation on the island. It was world-changing and extremely exciting, and I will never forget it. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, please visit my website at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. And if you're in San Diego and want to trade your concern about climate change for a few hours of some great laughs, most weekends I'm doing improv comedy at either the Old Town Improv Company or Finest City Improv or both. And if you want to release from some of life's stress or to improve your speaking skills, consider taking an improv workshop at an improv club in your town. Patrick Lee has had an extremely successful career at Sempra Energy. His decision to step into the more risky role of president and CEO of a startup venture is both important and admirable. Not everyone can leave the familiar for the unknown, but in urgent times, it is necessary. We are going to need established and new leaders to step up, like Patrick, and help to mitigate climate change.